Hello and thank you for joining us once again for another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. I am Charles and as always I'm joined by my friend Joe. Hey there Charles. But in person at the moment, this it feels like a bit of a live tour Joe to be sat in the same room as you actually doing a podcast. I know, how strange. We're having a three-day sleepover right now. Just came around Sunday, watched the Sunday games with me. Going to watch the Monday games and hey, so it's just tagged on Tuesday at the end. And what about some of the games we've seen already this week, Joe? I feel like we say every single year we go, what a surprise week one. But there's surprises every week. That's the beauty of the NFL. And there were certainly a few upsets this week. There were certainly a few upsets. And I think that if you look down the list of box scores, there's definitely probably more games where you'd be at least shocked, maybe if not by who won, but by the margin of victory, than there are games that probably went how people thought they would. Yeah, absolutely. So to kick things off then, shall we pick up where we left off last episode and talk briefly about the Cowboys and the Bucks? Yeah, let's let's not stay on this game for too long because ultimately I think the Bucks played how we thought they played. They played well. The offense worked. I mean, Brady Brady looked to be in kind of peak late career Brady, making the right calls, doing the right thing with the ball. The defense on the whole wasn't bad. I think the one thing that perhaps surprised people a little bit was just how competitive the Cowboys were in this game. Yeah, I I think the biggest surprise for me was how well that Cowboys O-line held up against the pass rush from the Bucks. And on top of that, you know, Dak just looked really, really assured in the pocket. I mean, his team gave him some time, but when those edge rushers did come closing in, he really was very patient, very calm, considered and got the ball out safely a lot of times but yeah even with the the kind of missing pieces that they had on that o-line dallas held up well against the bucks there were a couple of plays there when dak would wait until the absolute very last second to get the ball away waiting for a play to open up and develop and i think that really after the injury he's had and the kind of subsequent kind of minor injuries that he's had in training camp which in themselves can be things that get into quarterbacks heads i think with all of that in mind it was it was a brave game from dak and i mean you've really got to give him kudos for how he played there like we said the cowboys were competitive we were perhaps a little bit more down on them than a lot of people were but after that performance against you know the super bowl winning bucks i think that the cowboys can you know start to get a little bit more excited and positive for the season ahead yeah I think the one thing that was still very apparent is, and you know, this is maybe a bit of a discussion point where we talk, was it more Zeke? Was it more the Bucks run defense? But the Bucks run defense continued to look as solid as it did last year. Do you think the difficulties that the Cowboys faced in the run game was purely down to the Bucks defense? Or do you think there's an element of Zeke underperforming at the same time? I believe it's Zeke Charles, and I can point to one specific play where I think you can really see this. I, I believe it was towards the end of the second quarter where there was a play on the Bucks uh, about the seven-yard line, and the Cowboys did a toss out to Zeke on the left side, on the weak side. He came up and he was basically one-on-one with the safety of the Bucks, Adams, who, let's be honest, he's been a player who spends most most of his career kind of bouncing around practice squads not making teams he's a player who the Bucks have got in as I think a third stringer really so he's in no means an elite safety and that's no disrespect to him but I think you look at his career he's not an elite player a running back one-on-one with a safety in the open field you'd expect any elite running back in the league to find a way through 
be that a player like McCaffrey who could easily power through, a player like Kamara who could use his elusiveness, or someone like Cook who could skin him on the outside. An elite running back, whichever way he did it, would have found a way through. Zeke got tackled, and he got tackled basically making no yards against his safety. And I think that, in a nutshell, really, is everything that Zeke's about. That was nothing to do with the line. That was nothing to really do with the Bucks' run defense because the line were elsewhere. Zeke, in the open field, just wasn't making it happening. And I think that whatever trouble Zeke had towards the end of last season, it's carrying on this season. Still time for him to right that ship, but the signs weren't too positive in that first game. I mean, overall, look, the Bucks did what they needed to do. They got the win, and the Cowboys had a really good showing of, of what they're going to be about this season. And they look to certainly be a little bit tougher than they were previously. So it's a positive defeat for the Cowboys, despite being a defeat, I think you'd say. And a positive game for the league. A close game, a close opening game. Two teams going at it. It was a great way to start the season off. Yeah. So then another, I suppose, bout between two big teams, but certainly one with a much bigger differential. Let's talk about the Cardinals and the Titans. Well, yeah, that Titans offense there looked impotent. Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator, he obviously left to go to the head coach role at the Falcons. And it really looked like the Titans were exposed there. They didn't seem to have any ideas at all. When it wasn't working, going with Derek Henry, everything else just seemed to be falling apart. Now, a lot of that you could argue came from bad offensive line play. The amount of time that Tannehill spent on his back was outrageous, but all in all, the offense seemed rudderless and the Cardinals had no mercy in just scoring and scoring against what wasn't a great defense last year, to be honest. Yeah, I kind of wanted to touch on that briefly, which is to say, what do you think was the difference maker there? I mean, Chandler Jones absolutely went off. I mean, a five-sack game. Like, I can still remember back several seasons ago to when Adrian Claiborne had a five-sack game. You don't forget five-sack games. They're huge. And so massive kudos to Chandler Jones for the game that he had on Sunday evening. Yeah, and we saw what for the first time in a Cardinals uniform? Making a difference and being disruptive in the backfield. So do you think it is the addition of some of these pieces to to that defence or do you think that it was less about the Cardinals defence and more about the O-line from the Titans? No, I still think it was a way that the offence was set up for the Titans. I believe that the plays that they were running weren't the right plays. They weren't getting their receivers open down the field. Now, there was all this talk pre-season about how having AJ Brown and Julio Jones and Derek Henry meant that you couldn't cover all of them. Well, the Cardinals were covering all of them and there just wasn't enough developing down the field and Tannehill was having to hold the ball on for far too long, which is why he was spending so much time on his back. The offence just wasn't working. Right plays were not being called and I think so much of that is down to Arthur Smith no longer being in town. Yeah, I think from what we saw last season, you can always trust the Cardinals' offence to keep them in a game. It was the defence, really, that you perhaps had question marks around going into this season. And I think this game certainly helped solidify the view that they've definitely made improvements there. And it's just whether they can keep up uh, throughout the season with this level of consistency and veracity. Yeah, but a great start for them. They're going to have to win as many games as they can outside of the NFC West. The NFC West, as I'm sure a lot of listeners will already know, every single team in that division won their games. So they've already got off to a flying start. So it's going to be extremely competitive. So every single game that's not in that division, teams are going to have to win. So a great start for the Cardinals there. And do you think 
that this is alarm bells for the Titans at this stage? Or can you chalk it up to tough matchup, strategy-wise, outclass, and just chalk it up as a loss and move on? Or are there red flags there? That... I, I think there should be red flags there. When a team gets beaten by that amount... And don't get me wrong, like the Cardinals, I like them, but I'm still not super up on them. This is still a team that could come third or fourth in the um, NFC West. And a lot of that is down to how competitive the division is. But the Cardinals are by no means making playoffs. So to get beaten that much by the Cardinals, it should be worrying. It's a manner of a loss as well. It's how they look so directionless. It's hard to change that in just a week. So then let's move on from that game onto a game that was a lot closer and one that we had it predicted different ways, Joe. I thought the Browns would edge it. You thought the Chiefs would edge it. It was certainly a very competitive game throughout. Both teams showed real excellence in, in certain areas of their game. What is it particularly that you want to pick up around this game? Well, as you say there, Chaz, we both had this as a close game, but as we mentioned on the pod last week, don't be surprised if the Browns went out and got a victory here. They didn't quite do that, but they they weren't too far off. I think that this is one of those losses where it's a loss and it's going to sting at the uh, facility this morning. But they took the Kansas City Chiefs, who you know have been across the last two years the best team in the National Football League. I know they didn't get the big game last year, but across the last 24 months, they have been the best team. And they took them extremely close and they competed in all aspects of the game. The defence came up big lots of times. The offence was scoring on them when it had to. Special teams were fine. In all three phases of the games, the Browns were competing. And how long has it been since we've been able to say that? Yeah, that's so true. And I think the thing that I found really fascinating, certainly for the first half of the game, we talked about you need a strong pass rush to be able to defeat this Kansas City Chiefs team. But one of the things that we didn't talk about in the podcast last week, but that we've mentioned in previous seasons is if there is any other key to victory against the Chiefs, it's keep Mahomes off the ball for as long as possible. And you saw those opening drives from the Browns. That was classic. I mean, they, they took, what was it, six minutes in the opening drive, something like that yeah. from the first quarter. Yeah. I mean, that is how you do it. They came with a game plan. I think they got the strategy bang on. Like you said, the defense came up big. They were doing everything right. But it just goes to show how perfect you have to be to be able to take on a team like the Chiefs and, and come out the victor. That's just it. You, you have to play a perfect game because even when you're playing a 9.5 out of 10 game, Tyreek Hill could still do something. Travis Kelsey is still going to uh, touch those touchdown passes. That's always going to happen. And, you know, I think what the Browns have shown here is that on a different day, it could go their way. And shots have been fired. At the end of the day, the only thing that really matters right now is that the Chiefs have a W next to their name and they'll be going into week two, one and oh. The Browns won't be. But they can certainly take a lot of a lot of spirit from this. And, and fans won't be sleeping on the Browns anymore for the rest of the season. So talking about teams with a W next to their name then, there's certainly a few teams this week that I think most people expected to come away with a W and they came away with big fat L's. So it's probably a good thing. Let's group them all together, but we can talk about them individually. But of course, we're talking about Green Bay at the Saints, which oh, it's going to be painful to talk about, but we'll get there. Eagles versus the Falcons and the Jags at Texans. So... 
Let's talk about that, Joe. Do you want to start with Green Bay first? Yeah, let's... Put me out of my misery. <laughs> let's start with Green Bay, but I think that Green Bay is the one we have to focus on a little bit more. The other two games, let's touch on those. But Green Bay, because there's so much more to just this loss. Aaron Rodgers has been the story of the summer. The biggest, longest saga of the summer has been what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. And I think that the manner of this loss after that drama all through this season just escalates it. And... I don't think that uh, Rodgers has ever lost a game by that margin when he started, Chaz. I, th- I think the uh, biggest losing margin he's ever faced as a starter was losing by 31 points. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And Green Bay lost by, what, 35? Yeah. The quarterback is the captain of the team in many respects. He's certainly the captain of the offense, but he's the figurehead in that locker room. He's the one giving speeches. He's the one rallying the troops most of the time. There are some kind of quieter, systematic kind of quarterbacks, but generally... And this is certainly the case for Green Bay. The quarterback is the leader of the team. Now, Aaron Rodgers, I think it was midway through the second quarter, Charles, when he threw that interception, that terrible interception, where he threw the ball down the middle of the field about 30, 40 yards. And there was just not a Green Bay player there. That was basically the minute that Aaron Rodgers seemed to give up. And subsequently, the moment the Green Bay Packers seemed to give up on the game. And from then on, the game wasn't even a contest. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it was funny because that was the exact thing I said when he threw that interception because, uh, I mean, we had about six screens up when we, we did. were watching yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it was like NASA. Yeah, I had the Green Bay game on, on one of my screens and I just said, I was like, wait until this interception comes up. He has just given up. And I've never, I don't think I've ever really witnessed a team so visibly just call it in they capitulated they absolutely yeah. capitulated now i understand you know look rogers is always very pouty and he was clearly furious about the lack of protection that he was being given and in fairness the o-line were, were horrific and that's what happens when you let go of you you know all pro center lindsley and and you have to rebuild from pieces you've got turner playing out of position it's a patchwork of an o-line and there's been some and I'm not sure if you're going to agree with me on this, but I think there's been some arrogance from Green Bay about how good their O-line is. They got rid of, like you say, the all-pro centre, Corey Lindsley, the best centre in the league last year. They got rid of him thinking that they could just get uh, kind of Swiss Army knife players to kind of fill in for him. You know, you've got your, your, your Jenkins in there, the other players around, and, and just think that, you know, we've got seven great O-line players here, and whichever way we move them around, they're so good that they can do anything that they want. And there's almost been an arrogance that, it, that Green Bay have thought that it doesn't matter that you've lost a centre of the calibre that Lindsley is. And, and they really got exposed from that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd call it arrogance or what, but I think that... D- hubris. Hubris, maybe. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That is what they've thought going into this season. And we've been shown in, in week one, that's not how it works. I think what gave them that false belief was we had to operate in that way a little bit last season especially when Bakhtiari went down and I think we had quite a bit of success shifting players and and being a very flexible O-line so I think that gave them the false belief that they didn't need anything more but my goodness if the Saints didn't expose how wrong that was look the Saints played a perfect game strategically they knew that Green Bay was terrible against the run. They were last season. They haven't really done anything to address that in the offseason. So they went with their strongest weapon, Kamara. And Kamara completely softened us up so that by the time James Winston was ready to drop bombs, 
our team had already called it in. Defense, offense, the lot had just checked out. And it was really embarrassing to watch as a fan, to be honest. You know, you can expect to get beaten, but to just throw your hands up like they did was was appalling, really. And it was absolutely a game of two halves, like you say. The first half, Alvin Kamara was just, you know, working the body, drive after drive, just running that ball down your throats, moving the chains. And then he, he basically broke you. He broke the Green Bay Packers. The morale there was gone. And like you say, James Winston then could just have fun in the second half. What are you more concerned about, Charles? Are you more concerned about the continuing problems with the Rundy? Or are you concerned about how there was basically no defensive back play in the second half? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think they're both massive issues. We saw how limiting not having a run defence is last season. It cost us a few games in the regular season and it certainly cost us in the postseason. So I, I think unless we fix that run defence, there's only so far you can go in, in this league uh, and certainly in the playoffs. But the lack of defensive back work was, I think, the more obvious glaring deficiency in the game that I think spells massive problems for Green Bay. Like I said, we could only get so far with the bad run defense that we had last season, but we were able to get quite far. I think the defensive back issue is is going to limit us to the point where we're losing games to teams like the Saints with no Michael Thomas, no Drew Brees teams that really everyone would expect a victory There were no recognised wide receivers out there at all, really were there? No, no. I mean, Marcus Callaway was the name that people have been talking about who was going to be the Saints wide receiver one, whatever that means. But there were no recognised names out there, but they still literally tore the Packers to shred. Yeah, I think it's a very bad look for the Packers. I think they need to regroup very, very quickly. I mean, when we were talking in the preseason and we were talking about some of the preseason games, I kept saying to you, look, there's nothing that I can learn from Green Bay at the moment because they've not they've not started any of their starters. And I do wonder a little bit whether, and here's where you talk about arrogance, this idea that, well, look, let's protect the starters and they'll be ready to go week one without rust. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has spent all bloody summer pouting. He hasn't thrown a ball for God knows how long. He hasn't I'm... had a shave or a haircut either, has he? <laughs> no. And I really do think that that showed. He, because, look, he was under pressure a lot, but he threw some wayward, absolutely balmy passes. They, they were throws from someone that looked unpracticed. Let's finish this one up. Is there any chance that we see Jordan Love play again next week? I think if they face the same, you know, horror show that they did this week, it's an absolute possibility. Look, the the only plus I think I can take from the showdown is there was a team that lost to the Saints 38-3 last season. That was the Bucks who went on to win Super Bowl, Joe. So Yeah, I think you're being a bit delusional, Chad. Let's, <laughs> let's literally, let's move on on that note. Really quickly, just talk about Eagles and Falcons. We mentioned that both of these teams really had to get off to a good start because they're going to have some tricky games over their next three matchups. Neither one of us were hot on the Eagles or Falcons going into this. I think most neutral fans in that respect were not that hot either. In the end, the Eagles ran away with it 32-6. What you got to say about this one, Charles? Yeah, I think the most surprising thing for me is because I, I expected both defences to be a little bit leaky. 
either side didn't look to have a massive amount of star quality, but it was it was the Falcons' offense. I just where was it? Yeah, and I touched on Arthur Smith earlier on. So Arthur Smith, he obviously left the Titans, and they're suffering offensively there. It's not like he's brought all that offensive juju with him, because I mean the Falcons were absolutely rudderless. Now we had red zone on one of our screens. You wouldn't know the Falcons were playing because I don't think Red Zone went to the Falcons once in the whole show, in the whole three, three and a half hours that the Falcons were playing. They mustered nothing offensively whatsoever. And, you know, eyes have got to be on Arthur Smith. Eyes have really got to be on Arthur Smith. He's supposed to be the offensive wizard. He's supposed to be the guy who squeezed every last drop out of Tannehill, made Henry the star that year's. None of this really happened. No, absolutely not. I don't want to read too much into it from the Eagles, though, and I know that might be a bit harsh to the kind of Eagles fans that were out there, though, but I think that the Falcons are perhaps just still that bad, especially defensively. Don't forget, the Falcons were a historically bad defense last year, and no matter what we've done so far, you're not going to change that overnight. So the Eagles, yep, you've got to give them the juice for getting 32 points. Does that change my view on the Eagles at all? No, it doesn't. And then just moving on to the other bottom-of-the-barrel teams in Week 1, Jaguars and Texans, Charles. Yeah, well, it's it's funny because it was an outcome that we talked about last week. I don't think either of us expected it. You know, we said that it was two poor teams going up against one another. But I, I think where we landed was Jags had everything to lose and the Texans had nothing to lose. The Texans went out there strong. They put out a very solid defensive performance, but they went out and they, they hurt Jacksonville big time. Look, the Jags did manage to close the gap a little bit in garbage time. Really, like the true score, if you want to take the garbage time score away, is probably something like 34-14. Something like that, really. Yeah. Margin of free scores. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we it was something that we spoke about before, but I think this hurts the Jags in a really big way. It does, and defensively as well. Because you could almost forgive it if Lawrence wasn't really clicking too much in the first couple of games of the season. He's a rookie quarterback. For all the hype, for all the pomp, for everything that's gone with him, he is still a rookie quarterback in his first game in the National Football League in a proper, real competitive, non-preseason game. So you could forgive him for not setting the world on fire. You can't really forgive the Jaguars for giving up 37 points to the Texans. No, no, absolutely not. And this is what we were saying in, in preseason, which is, look, Trevor Lawrence can be the best quarterback in the world but he's still got to play for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And at the moment, they don't have a robust enough team in a lot of areas to be able to support a potential star like Lawrence. So I, I think this game has really proved that they've still got some serious rebuilding to do before they're competitive at any level. There's so much work to do there, so much work to do. So... Let's just move on very quickly to picking out a few games that we'll be having our eye on in the next week. First one up probably for me, following on from a game we just talked about there, Browns-Texans. Now, this is not really because I believe the result is going to be anything other than a Browns win. It's just really so we can get a true benchmark of where the Texans are at. Because I think that playing against the Jaguars in week one, the Jaguars could be an absolutely awful team once again this year. They could be really, really bad. Urban Meyer... For all his college success, which is a very different way that the league is structured, he's a first-year NFL coach. So there's no guarantees with him whatsoever. So to get a real benchmark of what the Texans are like, let's see them play a proper team like the Browns. Now, if they 
if they manage to put two to three scores on the Browns, which are non-garbage time scores, then I think that this Texans team would have to slightly readjust our view of them. And they're not going to be a playoff team still. But they could be more of a team that's going to cause problems than we thought that they might be if they can show a good fight against the Browns. Yeah, because we saw how brilliant the Browns' defense was against the Chiefs. So it's going to be a real test. And if Texans struggle to score, then you're going to very easily be able to see how how bad that Jags' defense really was to let them rain down the score that they eventually ended up with. I think the next game that we should probably talk about is the Bills versus the Dolphins as well. I think we saw the Dolphins sneak a win against the Patriots of the weekend. A lot of that arguably came down to that Harris fumble towards the end. It was a very tightly fought match, but I think with the Bills losing to the Steelers, which, you know, they're two arguably very good teams, but I think most people would have called that an upset. This is the game that the Bills really need to bounce back from if they want to put together a strong case for for being a, a Super Bowl team. And it's not an easy game to do that against the Dolphins, who have just beaten the Pats. It's another divisional grudge match, and uh, it's an opportunity, potentially, for the Dolphins as well to walk away with two divisional scalps. This could be huge, because if the Bills go into this game, lose this game, they're going to be 0-2 and have lost a matchup against the Dolphins, who will be 2-0 in the AFC East. And two games in of a 17-game season, there's still a lot of football to be played. But momentum, things moving be very interested to see how this game goes but I'm not going to call it a must win for the Bills because that's ridiculous in week two but it's very important they get their season back on track yeah absolutely and then finally the <laughs> if there's one we talked about certain games that this is where you want to have your bounce back the Packers are going to have to bounce back against the Lions they got lucky in so much as nobody won in the NFC North so it's slate wiped clean Last week never happened for any team. We start again, but you've got to come away with the win versus the Lions if you're that Packers team. You really have. But, you know, we saw some things from the Lions against the 49ers last week. The Lions showed decent rushing offense and they showed that kind of, what was it that Dan Campbell said, biting people's kneecaps. They came back hard at the end. They didn't give up. This Lions team, Dan Campbell wanted that fight and it seems he did instill that in week one. So if you'd asked me a week ago how I thought this week two matchup would be going, I wouldn't go for any team but the Packers. But we're looking at exceptional circumstances with this team right now. I'll be honest with you, really, I'm interested in this game more probably for non-football reasons, just continuing on the saga of everything that's been going on through the offseason. And as a Vikings fan, you know, I've obviously got some biased interest there. So it'd be very interesting to see how that one plays out. <laughs> I'm certainly going into it a lot more nervous than I was previously. I never even dreamt that we'd have lost to that Saints team. And so now coming up against this Lions team, it's, uh, as you said, you know, they showed some absolute character. I thought they were down and out. They were down and out because we had predicted that these 49ers would have been by 17 points. And I remember looking over to you at one point and saying, we've underegged it, saying that they'd only win by 17 points. That's how bad they were looking at one stage. Yeah. And they came back strong and it just shows they're not a team that you can sleep on. And quite clearly, we're not a team yet that uh, you need to be afraid of. So, yeah, it's a must win, really, I think, for the Packers. Well, I think that pretty much covers it for the games this week and a few of the games that we're looking out for next week. As always, week one full of plenty of upsets and drama. And I can't wait for some more action in week two. 
drop us a line on social media. We look forward to hearing from you. And until then, see you next week.